0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Amen. The Pharisees in the Pharisees rejected John the Baptist, and they also despised Jesus. Yet in today's gospel, it's interesting to see that Jesus is invited on this occasion to dine not only at a Pharisee's home, but to dine in the home of a ruler of the Pharisees. But then St. Luke reports that they were watching Jesus carefully which then suggests that Jesus was not invited under good terms, but they were trying to trap Jesus. So from the surface, they could have made it look like their invitation toward, to Jesus at this, at this dinner would be sincere. But deep down, as we know from the Pharisees, their thoughts were sinister and they were deceiving. Jesus, of course, knows the hearts of men, and he knows your very thoughts. Using his divine omniscience, Jesus could have known or the true reasons for his invitation to the Pharisees' dinner. But unlike Jesus, we do not have divine omniscience, that is, we are not all-knowing. So if you had enemies who invite you to dine with them, the reality is you do not know their hearts. You will probably assume that this invitation from them is nothing but a trap. That because they're your enemies, they're luring you in for something bad. But it could also be that your assumption would be very wrong. It could be that your enemies are truly seeking reconciliation with you. That they've been moved by the gospel and want to see you moved by that same gospel. Seeking forgiveness and desiring to make amends. After all, that's what Christians desire and work toward. And it is, in the Bible, known as loving your neighbor as yourself. Another man that is present at this dinner of the Pharisees is this man who has dropsy. St. Luke does not suggest the reason for his presence. It is clear from the Pharisees in their desires to keep all things pure that they would not normally want to associate with people with medical conditions. It's been suggested that he could be someone related to the homeowner. But it's also been suggested, and I think far more likely, that this man with dropsy is there only to serve as bait for the Pharisees as they are attempting to allure Jesus in into a trap. They could accuse him of being unloving if he will not heal the man on the Sabbath, and they could accuse him of violating the Sabbath if he does heal this man on the Sabbath. But because Jesus knows the hearts of men, he then asked the lawyers and the Pharisees present a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They did not answer him. Perhaps they tried to hide their collective gulp when, they, when he asked them that question. Perhaps they were now turning white with surprise for getting caught. Or maybe they're turning red with anger because Jesus sees their purpose. If they are trying to walk Jesus into a trap, it surely backfired. And now they feel entrapped. For Jesus saw their hearts, their plan, their scheme, and, it, and made it clear to them that he knew what these men were up to. In Old Testament times, there were laws governing the Sabbath. Sabbath, which began on sundown on Friday evening, ended on sundown Saturday evening. No work was allowed. When the Israelites wandered through the wilderness for those 40 years, they weren't even allowed to pick up manna on the Sabbath day. They had to do that on the day in advance. The word for Sabbath means rest, and God's people were expected to rest following the example that God himself had set when he created the world in six days and then rested on the seventh. Their time of rest was to be sanctified by the word of God. So it was not just to be a day to relax and do nothing, but instead it was a day set aside by God's holy people who would be holied by God through the holy word of God. They were to be sanctified by the sacred scriptures which were written written to make them wise for salvation. The Sabbath is mentioned in the Ten Commandments. The third commandment declares, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Each of the rest of the commandments were God's required law at creation. They were required by God throughout the Old Testament and New Testament eras. They are required by God in our day And they will even be required at the new creation when Jesus returns and recreates the heavens and the earth. But it is a little bit different when it comes to this third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You see, the regulation to rest on Saturday is fulfilled in Christ. It was part of the Old Testament ceremonial law. And so we have a word interpreting the Sabbath in the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit and written in Colossians 2, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What is written here is saying that the various commands and Prohibitions, with respect to certain seasons and festivals and even the Sabbath rest, were intended to foreshadow the coming Messiah. But now that our Lord Jesus Christ has come in the flesh to take away the sins of the world, those requirements of the Old Testament ceremonial law have been fulfilled. Yet there are other laws... That must still be observed by God's people. The law to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. The law to love our neighbors as ourselves. The moral law has not and will not ever change. So then, what do we make of this third commandment? We don't have the prohibition against work any longer. But there is still a command in this commandment. Luther teaches us rightly, as he wrote in the small catechism, we should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching in his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. The emphasis on this third commandment is no longer on resting, but the emphasis remains on the word of God. The third commandment is upheld when we gladly hear and learn the Word of God, when we do not despise preaching, and when we do not despise the written Word. In this month's newsletter, which is now available on the table in the narthex, I included a few statistics about our congregation. If you look at the numbers you'll see that over half of those who hold membership within our congregation who have desired to be listed on in our church roster over half have not been to our church even once this year among those who are communicant members and communicants are those who have been confirmed promising that they will be faithful in their use of the means of grace, regularly hearing the word and receiving the sacrament, and promising that they will suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from this Christian conviction. Of our communicant members, who have made this promise before God, still over half of them have not received Holy Communion at grace this year. Now granted some live elsewhere and may be attending in a church locally but from my correspondence with most of them that is not the case for them attending so how then are they not despising preaching and his word how are they not in clear violation of the third commandment and the third and the same could also be said of those who only appear in God's house on Christmas and Easter, and for those who also simply darken the door of the church, periodically letting months go by without bothering to enter into his holy sanctuary where they receive rest for their souls. You can see how this commonly plays out. The first generation goes to church faithfully every Sunday as children. But then when they grow up, they find that the times have changed. There's things that keep them busy. And so they find other things to do on certain Sundays. Their children, that third generation, they or that second generation, they then grow up seeing that their parents found other things that could take priority over the word of God, and they discovering that it's simpler not to keep on going to church as frequently as their parents did, that generation grows up and raises their children, the third generation, without hardly going to church. Maybe bringing them to baptism, maybe forcing them through confirmation, but not much more than that. And when that generation grows up and then raises their children, they don't bother. They know that it is unnecessary, for they have not been taught the joys of salvation or the blessings that they have in Christ They have allowed the idols of the day, usually involving pleasures of the flesh, to be their gods, whom they love more than the true God. God did, after all, declare when giving the Ten Commandments, You shall not bow down to idols or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. What are the idols of our day? What are those household gods that people have? It could be sports, it could be sleep, it could be work or recreation, it can even be vacation. It really amounts to anything that keeps people out of God's house on the Lord's day. So how do we end that cycle? Well, we can't do it ourselves, but Jesus can, and he does end that cycle. We do see people added into Christ's church as adults, who may have known that their grandparents were Christians, but they were not raised as Christian. In today's gospel, Jesus spoke by way of a parable, and he began saying, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, when you are invited by someone to the wedding feast. You see, the divine service is a wedding feast. What takes place here might seem like a boring, same old liturgy or things like that, but it is a wedding feast in which you are invited. Our Lord invites you Sunday after Sunday, and He feeds you. He feeds you at this wedding feast His Word, His Body, and His Blood, because Christ Jesus, our bridegroom, now comes before us in our presence, and He cleanses you with the water. And the word he purifies you of your sin and he presents you before your father in heaven as a saint, as one who is forgiven, one who is holy and innocent. We confess that we deserve temporal punishment and eternal death for our sin. Instead, though, our instead of our savior saying, you got that right, you will surely go to hell because you have confessed your sin. Jesus will instead say to you who have taken that lowly place of penitence, friend, move up higher, and he exalts the lowly. That is, he lifts up the penitent sinner, and he says to the sinner who confesses his sin, you are mine, I have wed myself to you, I cover you with my very righteousness, and I present you to my Father as holy and innocent." He does so because it was his joy. Yes, our Lord Jesus' joy to go to the cross and pay for your sins so that you can be reconciled to your Father in heaven, so that you can be declared innocent, so that he would be declared guilty in your place, and so that he would then cover you with his very righteousness, so that you are no longer stained and soiled with your sin but that you are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, whom, which Jesus shed on the cross. That is now how Jesus exalts you. We prefer, according to our flesh, to have a God that would exalt us by giving us plenty of stuff, a big nest egg, wealth and riches, pride or fame or recognition or even good health. But God has found an even better way to exalt you, and that is by adding you to his family through the waters of holy baptism. He exalts you by teaching you his life-giving and life-saving word. He exalts you by feeding you that body and blood of Jesus for your forgiveness. To be exalted, though, first requires to be humbled. We need to be humbled, and that is what the law does. It accuses us. It shows us how we fail to measure up to the perfect law and standard of God. And that way, we will not be going about exalting ourselves. And instead, when we draw near before our Lord, we come before him humbled so that he can be the one to actually exalt us. That way we can then exalt him by praising him, singing loudly the wonderful words that we have to sing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and by thanking him with sincere hearts. Without the law, we would not know why we need Christ or his saving gospel or to be exalted. And without either the law or the gospel, like so many now suffer from, without that word of God, for having not been raised Christian in their homes. Without that law or gospel, we would not know why we need to gather in God's house in that first place. In today's gospel, the Pharisees did not gather on the Sabbath for the right reason. They wanted to trap Jesus, finding a way to silence the Savior. Of course, as with all things, in trying to thwart and foible God, these men failed. Jesus healed the man with dropsy and sent him on his way. Our Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath, and he is the one who truly gives his saints rests. He also showed the Pharisees their hypocrisy when he asked them if they would rescue their their own ox on the Sabbath, but refused to help their suffering neighbor, such as this man with dropsy, on the Sabbath day, because they were supposed to, as they thought, keep themselves holy on the holy day. They hypocritically would ignore their interpretation of the Sabbath laws to help out their own animal caught in a well on the Sabbath day, but they would not help out fellow a fellow human being on the Sabbath because they said that is forbidden work. And so... The Pharisees would not answer Jesus. They were unwilling to be humbled by him. They would not submit to him. Their hearts were hard. It is easy to fall into that same trap, to not answer Jesus when asked why we are not gathering in his house very often, to not be humbled by Jesus or to be unwilling to submit to him. But these traps are tools of Satan a ploy of the devil in an attempt to lure God's people away from Christ who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. It is true, all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But it's also true that we do not purify ourselves or make ourselves worthy before entering into God's house. We don't first perfect ourselves And then come, declaring to God, look at me, I am worthy. But we instead enter into God's house, knowing that our sin has ruined us, that we are ruined by the fall of man into sin. And yet Jesus graciously receives us and meets us with his gifts. He forgives us, he cleanses us of all unrighteousness, and gives us the robes of salvation, the garments of righteousness, and he sends us home justified, he sends us home forgiven. For he is the one who has adopted us and declared us to be his own children, added into his family by the waters of holy baptism. Jesus is now our brother, our father now exalts us, And he is pleased to receive us in paradise. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.